Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, your host, and the clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. For today's episode, we welcome Jennifer Hooper from our product management team at Mayo Clinic Laboratories for a test and focus interview. Thank you for the introduction, Dr. Pritt. Today, we will be discussing Mayo Clinic Laboratory's new urological NGS testing with Dr. Sonic Gupta. Dr. Gupta, thank you so much for being here today. Before we get into the test, could you provide our listeners with a little about yourself and your background, please? Thank you, Jennifer. I serve as the vice chair of the oncology practice and the division of lab genetics and genomics. As a part of my responsibilities in lab genetics and genomics, not only do I sign out our molecular assays, but I also participate in developing and implementing newer tests. With regards to the urologic panel, I was heavily involved with this uh, because I'm also a urologic pathologist. So I see tumors of the prostate, the bladder, and the kidney on an almost daily basis. And so I have a sense of practically what is required for molecular profiling of these tumors in daily practice. I think that makes you, Dr. Gupta, the perfect subject matter expert to dive into these panels a little bit more with your vast expertise within that prostate, bladder, and kidney as a urological pathologist. So with that being said, can you give us a brief overview of the newly developed urological assays? Yes, certainly. When we look at our current next generation sequencing test menu, uh, most of our assays that have been directed towards urologic malignancies fall into two buckets. One being single gene type assays. A good example would be FISH for TFE3 or TFEB or ALK genes that have commonly been used for renal cell carcinoma in particular, or on the other end of the spectrum, our large cancer panel or MCSTP that covers over 500 genes. But in daily practice, uh, there are many scenarios where we need testing that doesn't cleanly fit into either of these two buckets. So for instance, if you're looking for a spectrum of four or five genes, for instance, then maybe the large cancer panel might be overkill for that type of testing. And also sometimes we, we, we ask ourselves the question of how many single gene assays is too much. The urologic NGS panels really fills a void that we've had in our test menu. And this, this comes at a really good time because as we look at the current edition of the World Health Organization or the WHO Blue Book or the classification system for urologic tumors, we see that more of our entities are being defined based on molecular alterations. The new panels of tests that we are launching really helps us address these gaps in our test menu. So for instance, many kidney tumors now, which are also associated with germline predisposition syndromes, for instance, are associated with an underlying molecular alteration. And we often don't have good morphologic or immunohistochemistry-based surrogates for these tumors. And next-generation sequencing offers a perfect and cost-effective solution for these types of scenarios. 
I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think it also bears repeating too how you talk about the um, inception of these new panels really aligns with those new molecular alterations that are being described by the professional organizations that the majority of our pathologists follow. So again, a really timely addition to our NGS test menu. With that being said, can you talk a little bit more too about what patients should have this testing? Yes, yeah, so this really gets to the heart of our precision medicine initiative. And in the past, we've classically diagnosed kidney tumors based on morphologic criteria. And now as we are moving towards more molecular classification systems, we have an opportunity to have very narrowly defined tumor subtypes. And each of these tumor subtypes in turn may have very specific prognostic associations, they, they may have very specific therapeutic associations. So to give you an example, for kidney cancers, uh, for instance, there's a very aggressive tumor type, which is associated with fumarate hydratase alterations. We do have immunohistochemistry-based surrogates to make this diagnosis, but often those immunohistochemistry results or the morphologic results may be ambiguous. And in those types of instances, having access to either a single gene assay or a relatively focused NGS assay that tests for these alterations can make a huge difference in getting to the appropriate classification. And also uh, continuing with that same example, once we find one of these alterations and we decide to do follow-up germline testing to see if it's associated with a hereditary predisposition syndrome, for instance, then we can do very focused testing and not chase variants of uncertain significance. So it sounds like that, I mean, they really comes back to the disease-focused curation of these panels that are very timely and very much aligned with our organizations, not to mention the fact that gives the patient and the pathologist exactly what they need to make a really distinct diagnosis and put them on an appropriate care plan with these molecular alterations. Thank you for that added. Yeah, ab detail. absolutely. You know, not only does it help us diagnose these tumors, but also uh, it provides therapeutic data. So for instance, a, a very good example would be in uh, advanced prostate cancer, many of these tumors have deficiencies of the mismatch repair genes. And if you identify these alterations, then these patients may become eligible for immunotherapy, for instance, or similarly, if there are alterations of DNA damage response chains, these patients may be eligible for treatment with PARP inhibitors. And so while we do very focused testing, we can also add on some of these target genes. So not only does it help us classify some of these tumor types, but within the limitations of a very focused test, it's also informative regarding our response to therapy with some of these alterations. And so we've tried to cover the most relevant diagnostic, therapeutic, and prognostically relevant biomarkers in a disease-specific manner for kidney, bladder, and prostate cancer. Okay. It really sounds like, again, a really nice fit to their portfolio because it is very carefully curated panel to really, um, you know, highlight all the important points for these patients. Can you talk a little bit more in detail about the Mayo Complete Bladder and Prostate Panel, kind of what's in it and why? 
For sure. Just to kind of give you a little bit of a background about how we went about developing these panels. So we started a conversation, not just with the pathologists on staff, but also with our colleagues in the Department of Urology and Medical Oncology, and asked them if we had a very focused panel for bladder and prostate cancer, what sorts of genes would they like to see involved? And so we got their feedback, both for bladder cancer and for prostate cancer. And there was some amount of overlap in the genes uh, that are relevant for these two tumor types. And so based on this feedback, we designed our combined bladder and prostate cancer panel. And so to give you an example of some of the genes, for instance, that we included, keeping in mind bladder cancer, for instance. So to give you an example, Urothelial carcinoma that occurs in the upper tract, let's say in the renal pelvis and the ureter, are often associated with Lynch syndrome, and uh, they're associated with Lynch syndrome genes. So as a part of this panel, we included the Lynch syndrome genes. Another unique feature of this panel is that we're able to report on microsatellite instability. It doesn't have to be a separate test. And so not only would we be able to sequence these individual genes, but we could also provide information about the microsatellite instability score. And uh, when I say that they're overlapping genes, a certain number of prostate cancer, some studies say that it's in the one to 2% range can also have alterations of the same Lynch syndrome-related genes, although some may be in a sporadic setting. And these could also be detected just by including those same genes on the panel. There's some markers that are diagnostically relevant. So often, as a pathologist, something that we run into not infrequently is you get a very poorly differentiated tumor and all of our immunohistochemistry markers come back as negative, and we are unable to establish the lineage of the tumor. And obviously, establishing the lineage has uh, massive implications for treatment. And so based on the pattern of overall mutations, we can predict whether it's likely to be bladder cancer, whether it's likely to be prostate cancer. So a good example would be that over 80% of bladder cancers have mutations in the TERT promoter region, uh, while less than 1% of prostate cancers have the same mutations. And so you can see the cumulative value of having multiple genes that are either commonly mutated in bladder or prostate cancer, where it can help you establish the lineage. Again, to kind of get back to the initial theme, it's, it's a very carefully curated panel of genes, and it's obviously not extremely comprehensive. If somebody wanted a very comprehensive panel with that included uh, metrics like tumor mutation burden to assess the mutation status of a large number of genes, then perhaps our large cancer panel or the Mayo Complete Solid Tumor Panel might be a better option. But within the limitations of a relatively small focus panel, I think these tests deliver a lot of information and they fill a void that surgical pathologists have had in working up their cases where if you're looking for alterations of a few genes, let's say less than 10 genes, then perhaps the large cancer panel or the MCSTP test might be overkill. And so it just gives everybody a lot more options in terms of finding the best test for each patient.
Yeah, I would agree. And what I'm also hearing too, as you talk about, like, again, the careful creation of how the genes are kind of put together, the collaboration and talks with the internal practice, right, to understand what the needs of the patient are at that point, really comes back around to what I'm hearing is just a lot of robust clinical utility with these panels. And so it really is going to fit a lot of needs for a lot of patients. And as you said, if there is a need for a larger, more robust panel, we have that too. A lot of complementary tests that really fit together very nicely for a really nice portfolio. Thank you again for that addition. Really kind of the last question I wanted to touch on is how are these results used in patient care? And I know you've touched on that a little bit from the therapeutic perspective, but hoping you could talk about that just a little more. Yes, certainly. So maybe I could do this by giving examples of how these test results could be used for diagnosis, prognosis, or response to therapy. So uh, diagnostically, let's say, I think perhaps the most useful test that we are launching is going to be for kidney cancer. As I mentioned earlier, many tumor types are classified now just based on the underlying molecular alterations, which is a departure from the past. In the past, most uh, of these entities could be diagnosed by morphology and immunohistochemistry alone. And a good example of this is a spectrum of tumors that we collectively refer to as renal cell carcinoma with fibromyomatostroma. I know that this sounds like a mouthful, but essentially it's a huge spectrum of tumors that could be because that could arise second, secondary to mutations in a large number of genes, including the tuberous sclerosis genes, TSC1, TSC2, elongin C or TCB1. And unfortunately, we don't have any specific immunohistochemistry-based markers to make this distinction. And so when we diagnose these tumors, Presently, we diagnose them descriptively, saying that they could be secondary to one of these many uh, gene alterations. And it's really important to further define this entity. For instance, this may be the first sign of tuberous sclerosis in a patient. And the tuberous sclerosis-related uh, tumors tend to be relatively indolent, while the tumors associated with uh, mutations of the elongin C gene may metastasize. So just having that additional piece of information can uh, have a lot of utility, not just for counseling family members regarding hereditary predisposition syndromes, but also in terms of prognostication and to be able to do either a very focused test where we sequence for four genes versus a more comprehensive test where we sequence for over 20 genes can help address some of these questions without resorting to an extremely large cancer panel. Another common utility, perhaps with regards to therapy, would be related to the FGFR alterations in bladder cancer. As we're all aware, there are FDA-approved therapies for bladder cancer that have FGFR gene alterations. So our tests would be able to report on mutations in the FGFR genes. And if we find these mutations, these patients become eligible for FDA-approved treatments. And in terms of prognosis, there are several markers, let's say, that are associated with resistance. So for instance, alterations in the ERCC2 gene could be associated with uh, cisplatin resistance in bladder cancer. So again, we, we sought to include some of these genes in our panel. So it can be used for a wide 
variety of reasons. But uh, obviously, the utility is limited to kidney, bladder, and prostate cancer. And uh, we hope that within a small targeted panel, we can uh, address a lot of our questions collectively, whether it's questions for the pathologist who's looking to accurately classify a tumor or a question for the oncologist or the urologist who's looking for prognostic information, markers of response to therapy. So I, I like to think of it as a common shared tool for multiple groups that helps us better serve our patients. Yeah, I agreed. And this is really kind of where it comes back to the needs of the patient come first and really carefully looking at those common indicators for those patients within bladder, kidney, and prostate. We're really excited to be able to bring these panels um, to the market and share with our clients and our partners. Is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't discussed, Dr. Gupta? I think you've uh, covered most of it. And just to get back to what you said about the needs of the patient coming first, I think if, if we look at what's easy to do, you know, in terms of test development and implementation is to have one common test that we use for every single tumor type. The difficulty and what we're trying to do is we're trying to put ourselves in a patient's shoes and to, to kind of ask ourselves, can we do better in terms of matching perfect tests to a patient's needs. And so this keeps in mind cost effectiveness and resource utilization, and to be able to deliver maybe the most relevant information using a cost-effective test. And so I think we've taken on that challenge to kind of look to every disease state and tailor our test development directed towards those. Yeah, I think that's really well said. I can attest that there definitely has been a move to do better by really delivering disease-focused relevance, right, to the patient. And I could say that you're being very successful at that, Dr. Gupta. So thank you. Thank you in the lab and all the team members for the development of these tests. Thanks again for your time today. We really appreciate you being our subject matter expert on these new urological NGS panels. To learn more about the new urologic NGS panels at Mayo Clinic laboratories and how to order for your institution, please visit mayocliniclabs.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday. <laughs>